graduated from Southern Nazarene University. She was a Mission Corps volunteer in Bulgaria for two and a half years. After that, she studied at Nazarene Theological Seminary and was an associate pastor in Arkansas. She then spent four and a half years in Sicily as a global missionary with the Church of the Nazarene. In 2009, she made the move to Bulgaria and has been there since. Her main responsibilities include coordinating theological education and overseeing the Compassionate Ministries Foundation there. She also hates pickles and watermelon. Would you welcome Reverend Jessica Morris? Good morning. If you would, let's open the Word of God together and read these ancient words that still have lots of meaning for us in our lives today. We're going to read from 1 John chapter 4. We'll read from seven, from verse 7 till the end of the chapter. That's 1 John 4, verses 7 to 21. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son as the savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we, have may, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. My first global missionary assignment was to the beautiful island of Sicily. It's just off the the coast of Italy. And I lived in the town of Palermo, not far from the beach. Spent all my weekends on the beach snorkeling, having a wonderful time. And I was there planting a church, their coffee house ministry, and a cultural center. 
And I met a lot of friends, and we had a lot of parties, and it was a lot of fun. And I would go out with them, and we would go out to these places that were on the seaside, and I had to be careful which friends I went out with, because some of them, you didn't come back until the sun was coming up again. And I, I love Sicily. I fell in love with Sicily. And after I was there about two years, I fell in love with a boy. You guys, man, you just get under our skin. And this, this boy, he didn't live in Sicily, though. He lived, in, he lived on the mainland. And so it was a long-distance relationship, and it was, it was not so great. He was great. I mean, dark hair and dark eyes, and his name was Armando. And, <laughs> and he was pretty suave. I mean, he was suave in the way that he talked and the way that he walked, and he was eye candy. And I fell madly in love with Armando. And he tragically crushed my heart. He sent me an email to break up with me. I know, wasn't he a scoundrel to do that? That was low. So there were some volunteers that were in Sicily at the time, and they, they kept telling me, Jess, you need to get a dog. And I thought, I don't need a dog. Yeah, I'm lonely. Armando has broken up with me. My life is an abyss of misery and despair, but why do I need a dog? Anyway, they wore me down. They, they were dog lovers. They had always had dogs, and they said, a dog will make your life a wonderful place. So they talked me into it. They said, we'll help you. It's not going to be that hard. And so I got this dog. And his name is Sydney. Yeah. Sorry, Sydney. Our Sydney is much prettier than this Cindy, Sydney. Um, and Sydney, you know, before I got Sydney... I had this idea, you know, I'll take him to the ministry center, you know, and he'll sit in the corner and he'll be nice when people pet him. And I wanted a small dog because I was biking to, to the ministry center every day. And I thought, you know, I need one, a dog that'll fit in my basket. So, you know, a smaller dog would, would be nice. You know, doesn't that sound picturesque? Me riding my, my bicycle down the street in Italy, the wind blowing my hair and the dog in the basket it just sounded like a nice idea. We did all this research online, and Sydney was, oh, he was a beautiful, wonderful dog. We bonded like he wouldn't let me go to the bathroom without him right there. He, he had to be everywhere I was. I mean, he was an absolute joy and delight, but he was a terror if you didn't know him. He would bark and he would try to bite. And so obviously he couldn't go to the ministry center and he wouldn't, well, one, he got too big for the basket, but even when he could fit in the basket, he kept trying to get to me and he wouldn't stay in the basket. Even if I tied him in it, it was a disaster. So I started praying about what can I do with this dog? And all my friends, they're all responsible and they're absolutely horrified that I would take on this responsibility and then I would shirk my responsibilities because you don't do things like that in Sicily. So I prayed about it and I remembered that my aunt and uncle love Dotsons. They at the time had almost a collection going on. 
They had a mini spotted. They had a, a mini uh, wire hair that was white. They had their traditional uh, long black and brown one. They had a white haired, they had a dark haired, then they had the spot. Anyway, so they had the four. The only thing that they were missing was the red. So I called and said, hey, you want a red for your collection? Now, my aunt and uncle, they were on my mother's side. It was my mother's brother. And in their family, there were three of them. This is my uncle, Dennis, and his wife, Marla, at their wedding. And as you can tell, I mean, of course, this is in the 60s and 70s, he was quite the rebel. I mean, he did not do anything that my Southern Baptist grandparents wanted him to do. He was volunteering in the Philippines, you know, doing an internship when he was at university, and he got caught smoking pot, and they sent him home. And that did not go over well with my grandparents. And... uh, you know, he and Marla, they were, they were secretly sleeping together. They, of course, wouldn't tell my grandparents because they would be too scandalized. But uh, they had been absolutely rebel, uh, rebels from, from high school on. I found this out later. Before the wedding, my grandmother took my Aunt Marla out for coffee, and she tried to buy her off and get her not to marry my uncle. Now, my mother's the oldest, and then there's my Aunt Sharon, and my Aunt Sharon is a diehard. Like, she's all about Jesus, and it's all about Jesus, and nothing else but Jesus. And her first husband was uh, an addict. He was an alcohol and drug addict, and he eventually died of that. And so she had gotten into Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon, which supports people who have loved ones that are into alcohol. And so she was always, she was telling my uncle, you guys are alcoholics. You need to go to AA. Uh, Obviously all of this didn't bode very well for their relations in the family. And little bit by little bit, my aunt and my uncle had begun to recede from our family life. We rarely saw them. We rarely talked to them. They had no children except the dogs. And occasionally they had a cat. And so I was absolutely surprised then when they said that they would take Sydney. So I got it all ready. You know, you have to get a passport for the dog. And you have to get the carrier for the dog. And you have to have a ticket for the dog. And it, it was quite complicated. So I finally, and all these shots, so finally got him back to the States. And went and got him acclimated to the other puppies. He is fierce. I mean, he's, he's so fierce. I had to take them all on walks. It was the only way that they wouldn't fight, is that they all loved to be outside walking, and I would, take them, I, would, I would take them in triplets to walk. And I would go back, and I would exchange the other dogs, and Sydney would be the constant so that they could all get used to him. And that began to be the forging of a relationship, because every time I would come back from... From Sicily, I would go by and see Sydney. And if I was speaking anywhere close to, to Tulsa, where my uncle Dennis and Aunt Marla lived, I would go through and I would stay a couple of days. And, and they were so gracious and so kind. And he's an engineer and makes bukus of money and would always take us out to eat. And in the process, I discovered that 
my aunt had real social anxiety, and she wouldn't leave the house hardly ever. And she suffered from chronic depression, and she would spend long hours in bed. She would get ready for bed, and she would say, well, I have, she would have two hands full of, of wine glasses, and she said, well, I have my bedtime wine. I'm ready to go to bed. And she would get up in the morning, and there would be breakfast wine and lunchtime wine and dinnertime wine. And this, is, this was just her life. And I just loved them. I fell in love with them as much as I fell in love with Sydney. And I went, and we would talk about life. And we would talk about the difficulties that it is to be alive and to struggle through life. And the many answers that we don't have to the questions in life. And I found myself becoming the daughter that they didn't have. Or at least I felt like I was becoming that daughter they never had. I eventually moved to Bulgaria. They asked me to go to Bulgaria after I'd been in Sicily for four and a half years. And I loved Bulgaria because just out of university, I had gone to Bulgaria as a volunteer. And I had fallen in love with the mountains and the sea and the Bulgarian people and their hospitality. And I went to volunteer for one year, and I stayed for two and a half in Bulgaria. And they had always told me, there's no money for you to go back to Bulgaria. But when I was in Sicily, they called and they said, there's a spot and it's opened up and we want you. So I prayed about it and it took some time, but the Lord made it clear I was supposed to go back to Bulgaria. So I went to Bulgaria, moved to Bulgaria, and once I was in Bulgaria, about nine months after that, I called my radical Aunt Sharon on the phone. And she said, have you heard? Aunt Marla's in the hospital. You know, she's been battling pancreatitis for a long time. And the doctor's been telling her if she keeps drinking, she's going to die. And she's tried to stop, and it hasn't worked. And I had been around when she had tried and, and all that craziness, but just couldn't, just couldn't stop. She said, the prognosis isn't good, and we think we're going to lose her. So I hung up with her, and I called my Uncle Dennis immediately. I said, Uncle Dennis, do you want me to come home? I'm scheduled to go on vacation tomorrow and go back to Sicily to see my friends, to maintain those contacts there. And he said, yes, I want you to come. So the next morning, instead of getting on the plane to Sicily, I got on the plane went to the States. I arrived in Tulsa at the airport. I didn't have a cell phone, of course, that worked in the U.S. And uh, didn't have any uh, any American money on me either, and he wasn't there to pick me up. To make a long story short, some, some poor airport volunteer took me to the hospital once I finally found out where the hospital was and what the name was. And I, with luggage in tow, arrive at the hospital to find her in the final bounce back. She had started talking again. She was eating, but it was the final bounce back before, before her death. They hadn't bathed her in two weeks. I mean, they'd done bed baths, but that wasn't near enough. And um, my uncle was nowhere to be found. The next morning after spending the night in the hospital, I, took, I called a cab, and I, I went, I took the suitcase, and I went to check on the dogs. You know, Sydney was, was there with uh, the other dogs, and I went to find out what was going on. I nearly got arrested because the, I set off the alarm, 
and the, the cops came and and they kept calling and I, I didn't know any of the passwords or anything. And I mean, it's really the most fantastic story to tell a cop. Yeah, I flew here from Bulgaria because my aunt's in the hospital and she's dying and I can't find my uncle. And I mean, my uncle is the sweetest, most gentle, most wonderful person. Uh, so highly educated, so good at what he does. And he had been erected, arrested for public uh, intoxication because he just wasn't handling the well the the death of my aunt Marla very well and so I stayed for two weeks cleaning up messes and helping with her care and doing everything I could to help bridge between my mother and my aunt Sharon who had you know who were very concerned and very wanting to be involved in their lives but up until that point had not been and they came the first weekend that I was back and it seems so odd to me that I, who lived the farthest, the furthest away, ended up being the first to arrive. My sister came, who also is a rebel in her own right, and she also is very close to them. And she came, and we took care of Aunt Marla. And it got time that I had to leave. And I debated, should I stay or should I go? Um, that sounds like a song. Should I stay or should I go? Um... And I think, yeah, is it a Beatles song? I don't know. Um, so, Corey doesn't know. Um, so, I went back to Bulgaria, and uh, she died a couple of weeks after that. And things were really up and down with my uncle. And I, I, w I kept coming back, you know, every, every two years I have to come back and do these three months in the United States reporting on what God is doing in Bulgaria. And so, every time I would come back... I would spend more and more time with Uncle Dennis. Then I went and saw him in uh, Australia because my brother was getting married. And I was surprised because he was changed and he was changing. And in the process, as I was a part of that bridging process of he developing a relationship again with my mother and my radical aunt, I kept saying to them, Uncle Dennis has never been unconditionally loved, and we just need to love him. This passage that we read talks about love. It talks about a lot of love. It talks about what that love looks like. And one of the verses that I really, really love is verse 18 where it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now it's referring here to, to the previous verse where it's talking about the day of judgment, and it's talking about fear in this sense. But I, I, always, I also think about how often... It's difficult for me to love because I am afraid. I am afraid that I will be rejected, like Armando rejected me. Or I will be afraid, I am afraid that if I'm open and vulnerable with somebody else, that I'm going to be judged. And it says that perfect love casts out fear. That means that I don't have to wear a mask of perfection all the time so that I don't have to fear rejection. It means that in my brokenness, I accept you in your brokenness. 
It means that I can be open. It means that I can be vulnerable about my inadequacies, my insecurities, my fear, my absolute fear that I was coming to speak to all of you. This is what perfect love looks like. And I'll be honest and say, I have too much fear in my life. I have more fear in my life than I want to have. I want to have this perfect love. I want to be able to radically love people. One of the places that I am so happy uh, to serve in Bulgaria is not as much with, I, I enjoyed the theological education classes, and I enjoyed trying to build a building in Sofia where we're going to have a ministry center and a coffee house and maybe a charity or thrift shop and a place for the Sofia church together and English classes and all kinds of things. And we need volunteers, so if you're getting ready to graduate in a year or so, we will be ready if you want to come and serve in the coffee house. But that's my only advertisement. So I enjoy those things. I enjoy doing all the legal work for the church. I enjoy visiting the churches. I enjoy being a part of the worship experience in Sofia. But the thing I love most is our home group. And the picture that, the next picture is of Petr, who's in our home group. Now this is Petr. We were going to the mountains. There's a a range of seven mountain of seven lakes at the top of this mountain range. And so I took the home group and we went and hiked around the lakes. In our home group, there's a guy with Asperger's. There's a Hungarian man who's living with his Bulgarian girlfriend. And he's now leading our, our Bible studies while I'm away and has been all fall. And there's this guy named Petr. Now, I, I affectionately call him homeless Petr. Not because he's homeless. He has a home. He lives with his parents in very deplorable conditions. But when he came around, he, for the first time, he looked homeless. He, he's balding on top, which you can't see because he's got the cap on. But he had really long, scraggly hair and uh, that hadn't been cut. You know, it wasn't the nicely groomed long hair that's really hot. It was the other kind. And he had a long beard. Uh, it looked like things were growing in it, you know. And he, he, he wore dirty clothes a lot, and he smelled bad a lot. And it was just, uh, you know, we, we just loved Petr. We just embraced Petr the way that we embraced anybody that wants to come to our home group. And, uh, and so before long, I, one day Petr came in for the home group, and he had a haircut. I was like, wow, Petr, you look nice. And then the next thing you knew, he had trimmed his beard, and it didn't look like there were things growing in it anymore. And then he started wearing uh, clean clothes and, like, taking a bath sometimes. It was, like, amazing. And you can see he's still really crazy. I mean, look at those leggings that he has on to go to the mountains. I mean, he still is his own person, absolutely. I, I was surprised that when he would come to the home group, he wouldn't ever hang his coat on the coat rack. And so one day, everyone was standing at the door. They were putting on their shoes, because you always take off your shoes when you go into a house and put them back on, obviously, before you go out. And I went to the living room, and I picked up his coat, 
uh, to, to bring it to him so he could put it on while he was putting on his shoes, and this big, huge knife fell out of the coat. And I thought, oh, that's why you don't hang your coat on the coat rack. I mean, it wasn't a shoulder holster, but, um, yeah, I mean, he's just amazing. And he, <laughs> he thinks that, uh, of course, everyone should come and be a part of our home group because it's just the best thing ever. So he invited this opera singer one night, and I live in an apartment. And so at 10 o'clock, you're supposed to be quiet. And finally, after it got to a little after 10, I said, you know, I'm really sorry, Carol, but you can't keep singing opera because the neighbors are going to go insane because I'm sure everybody in the whole building could hear him. And he brought this little girl who had a baby, and she spent half her time on the phone talking with her mother who kept saying, where are you? And the, the baby's father saying, where are you and what are you doing? Um, very controlling in her life. And she looked scared and miserable. And, and I just love being with these people, as crazy as that is. And somehow they, they put up with me and they love me back too. And I want to have a life where there is no fear and where I can perfectly love. One of the things that I love that John Wesley uh, said, I was reading, rereading his uh, plain account this spring, and he said, for, for us to be perfect in the, the Christian sense of perfect, it doesn't mean that I cease to, becoming a, to be a human being. It, it doesn't mean that I always remember where I left my keys or that I don't forget to call someone and that unintentionally hurts them. What it means for us to be perfect is for us to be perfect in love and that we would have a love so great that that love would be willing to give our lives the way Jesus did for somebody else. Or that we would be so willing to love the way Jesus did that we would set aside our fear and we would sit at another table in the cafeteria with someone that looks very alone. Or that we would go into our cities and that we would care for other people that are different than us. I don't, I don't have all the answers. Um, I, I never will. And I'm glad because that means I don't have to be God. I really bonded most with my aunt and my uncle when I began to share with my aunt Marla my own struggles with depression. I was in Sicily, things were going well, our parties were booming, we always had musicians with live music, I didn't even have to look for artists to show stuff in the coffee house. Everything was moving on, and yet I was very alone, and I was very depressed. And when I shared my brokenness, and when I was vulnerable with her, in her brokenness, and I went and I crawled in bed with her and the dogs and we would watch television as my uncle was at work. Our lives were changed and love began to be forged between us. 
I told you that I saw my uncle in May at my brother's wedding in Australia. He married an Aussie girl. She's really great. And I almost didn't recognize him when he got off the plane. He broke his leg and uh, spent five days on his living room floor until his coworkers came to see if he was still alive. And that was kind of the end of the road. And so we went to Alcohol Treatment Center. And when he came out, he went back to the bottle and he realized he couldn't do it on his own. So he finally called the AA group that they had recommended to him at the treatment center. And, and he goes to AA four days a week. And he... I, I don't have words. I don't even have a... I wish I had a picture to show you. Um, the most amazing thing to me is to see the light that is in his, in his eyes. The lack of darkness. And when I'm with him these days, we have the most interesting conversations. He asked me two weeks ago, he said, what does it mean to have a personal relationship with God. So I, I told him, well, I think to have a personal relationship with God means that you walk with God and you talk to God and you listen to him. And, um, and that looks different for all of us because we're all very different. It's not about a set of rules and it's not about a bunch of legalism. <sighs> And he said, well, I just want to have this experience. I want to know that I really have this relationship with God. I said, well, have you told God that? Yes. He said, yes, I've told God that. And I'm waiting to really know. He's living it. He's seeking God. His group, they, they believe in his A group that prayers only count if you're on your knees. So he gets down on his knees and he prays every morning and every night. He even thinks it's ridiculous that they make them do it on their knees. He is seeking God in an incredible way. And as I was getting ready to come here, he was driving me here. And I said, I'm, I'm really kind of nervous about speaking to all these college students. It's a lot of them. You're a lot. You're really cool. You know, I'm kind of getting old. I'm going to turn the big 4-0 this year. Yeah. And, um, and he said, you know what, Jess, you just need to have a God moment. He said, you just need to be quiet. You need to be alone with God. You need to let him tell you what you're supposed to share. He waited a minute and he said, can you believe I told you that? I said, well, not really, but God really is amazing. And so I say to you today, perfect love casts out fear because it doesn't have to do with punishment. And as we end today, there is a, I know that it's getting close to time and there's not time, but I have this song that is fantastic. So if you have time and you want to listen to it and pray, if you have to scurry off to class or see your friends or a cute guy or a cute girl, that's fine too. No, no worries. No pressure. But I, my prayer for you 
is that the peace and the love and the grace of God would flow in your life and that you would know that perfect love that casts out all fear. In the back, just forgot to say, at the welcome desk, I have prayer cards. And if you'd like to get email, newsletters, I don't expect that you do, but anyway. And there's a blog and all that kind of stuff. If you'd ever be interested in coming to Bulgaria, or you're just backpacking through Europe and you want a free place to stay, or you want to come and volunteer for a year in the coffeehouse ministry, you're always welcome. I'd love to have you. God bless you. I don't